We're in this sermon series on the Gospel of Luke, Knowing Jesus. Today's really interesting because uh, the two parables I'm going to read are totally unique to the Gospel of Luke. They don't show up in Matthew, Mark, or John. Most of the Gospel of Luke actually is from the Gospel of Mark with edits here and there. But this is a chapter where it's totally unique to the writer of Luke. Very interesting. So I think we get a window into Luke a little bit, but we also get a window into perhaps his unique relationship that he had with Jesus Christ and some of the stories that he shares with us. So with that, let's look at Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 14. Listen to God's word. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused, but later he said to himself, though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not continually wear me out by continually coming to me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant them justice. And yet when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous And regarded others with contempt. Two men, they go up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and one a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself was praying thus. God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven. He was beating his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, that man, he went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. And one more reading for this morning. It's from Romans chapter 14, just verses 1 through 4. The Apostle Paul writes this letter to the church in Rome, and he says, Welcome those who are weak in faith, but not for the purpose of quarreling over opinions. Some believe in eating anything, while the weak eat only vegetables. Those who eat must not despise those who abstain, and those who abstain must not pass judgment on those who eat, for God has welcomed them. Who are you to pass judgment on servants of another? It is before their own Lord that they stand or fall, and they will be upheld, for it is the Lord is able to make them stand. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
for the past couple of months at Trinity, I have been waist deep, maybe shoulders deep into the website of this church. It's been the biggest project I've kind of spent my time on. That may seem a bit absurd, but it's what I've spent a lot of time working on and gathering different people. Um, The previous website, you can put the picture up, Danny, that's fine. Uh, It had this little box. I blew it up so I'd try to make, you could see it all on the screen. But the way that the previous website functioned was that it kind of had this small little window and you had to scroll through to get to see any of the information to access it on there. So we finally updated it a month ago. We have a new website. It's great. It's full screen size. You can see everything on there. And I feel like I know everything that's on that website. Almost every word, every link, every posting, every picture, every video we've put on it. I feel like I've read everything. And one of the fun parts about being in the website is not the website itself, but it's been that I've got to meet with people from various ministries around the church for the last couple of months too as we process and talk about how they want to share information on the website. I've been meeting with a lot of people. And this week on Monday afternoon, I met with Joel Van Hofwagen. I don't see him here. He's a new elder on session, and he's also the chair of the Committee on Stewardship and Finance. And when I copy and pasted a few things from the old website to the new website, I forgot to add the links. So there would be a sign that said, click here for more information, and there would be no way to click to get the information, basically. So Joel wanted to remedy that situation. So he came into the office, and we were talking, and he said, go look at the old website, Kurt. There's that button right there, and go to that link. So we clicked it. Maybe this won't be funny for you, but it wasn't more information when you clicked on the link. It was like a whole new website. I don't know if you've seen or read the books, the Chronicles of Narnia, but it was like jumping through a wardrobe into a whole other world. Um, The stewardship and finance team had made their own website. It had video footage, it had pictures, it had documents that you could sign up to give in all these incredible ways. It blew my mind. I couldn't believe it. It wasn't click here for more information. It was like an invitation into a new world. (laughs) It was so shocking. I couldn't believe it. It was such a surprise. I literally laughed at my desk for a couple of hours afterwards. I'm still laughing about it. I can't believe I didn't know that. I can't believe I thought I knew everything about that website. (sighs) Clearly, I didn't. (laughs) I think there's actually some of that surprise humor, that feeling I felt of surprise when I learned that it wasn't just more information. I think there's that surprise element of humor in this scripture reading, and I'm wondering if I could have a volunteer to help me uh, explain this. Express? Actually, some, I can't, you always volunteer. Is there anybody else willing to help? I need somebody just to read a piece of scripture for me from Luke 18. Who would do it for me? Anybody? Volunteer? Somebody? Pat will do it. Okay, I'm going to walk back there and talk to Pat. So. Do you mind standing, Pat? Okay, so if you don't mind, would you read Luke 18, verse 5, out loud one more time? Yet because the widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. Okay, so if you look at your Bibles and actually pull them out, if you're curious, you can do this. Uh, There's a little D next to it. The D means that there's a footnote. Now, a lot of times when you're reading the Bible, who even looks at the footnotes, right? But I just want to, would you read footnote D for this? It's the replacement. It's the other verse that could be read in place of that verse you just read. Or so that she may not finally come and slap me in the face. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. 
See, here's the trick. You can put the next word up, Danny. Did you? <laughs> this is the humor of the Greek text sometimes in the New Testament. Is that this is the word that Luke chose to use? It's called upopiazo. It only shows up twice in the New Testament. One other time in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, and then right here. And the translators of the NRSV they don't know what to do about it. The unjust widow comes, or the, or the unjust judge comes to the widow. It says, finally, I'll give you justice because of this word. Um, but they take the light metaphorical thing and say, she's wearing me out, you know, so she doesn't wear me out. But in classical Greek text, upopiazo shows up in boxing literature <laughs> from, the, from the early first century. That's the only other time it shows up. So really it means like this is an uppercut, <laughs> you know. The unjust judge is terrified that the widow might come and punch her. That's some of the surprise humor that Luke shares with us in Luke 18. There's more humor in this text too, though. And, you know, surprise humor is one thing, but there's a bit of a darker humor in this text too. That darker humor that sometimes we want to laugh, but we know maybe we shouldn't be laughing. Like, for instance, this part about the Pharisee standing in front of the temple praying, God, I'm glad I'm not like other people. Can you imagine if me, a pastor, that's what it would be like, got up in a church and said, God, I'm glad I'm not like other people. Thank you for making me who I am. Not like all those other people. I'm so good and perfect. Thank you, God. That's essentially what this story would be like. It would be absurd. It would be you want to laugh, but you don't want to laugh because thinking about a pastor saying that, there's just, ugh, there's something internally wrong with that. There's a real tension to these parables. All week long, I've also been talking to people in the church about this scripture, and I've been asking them, how does this relate to your life? Last week, I was talking to some high school students about this scripture, and one of them said, all I keep thinking about is my dance team. All I keep thinking about is my dance team. Because in my dance classes, in my dance teams, and when we perform, nobody really cares about what they do themselves. They're always caring about what other people are doing. And they say, you know, I didn't do that bad, but I didn't do that bad. So I feel pretty good about myself right now because that person was bad. There's no sense in which it's about me. It's, she said it was all about judging. It's just like this world where that's all you're doing is you know, judging based on them versus me, me versus them, and that's where my value comes from, that's where my worth comes from. There's all this tension in the midst of that judging. And I think that's what we see in this text, too. There's this tension. Do you ever feel that tension in your lives? Compare yourself with other people? Do you feel that tension that the high school student was talking about? That's here, that's in this scripture. And in the midst of that tension... In the midst of that tension, there is a pronouncement of good news, and there's an invitation to be a judge like Jesus. To judge like Jesus. You know, we've been on this story, not on this story, sorry. We've been on this journey of knowing Jesus so intimately that we become like him. That's our sermon series. And while I love that spiritual goal statement, knowing Jesus so intimately we become like him, there's a part of it that's hard for me because we ultimately can't be Jesus. There are some things that Jesus does that we cannot do. One of those things is this idea of judgment. 
this is the thing, it's almost like a dirty word in church now. It's like we can't talk about Jesus as a judge because we get nervous. We feel sad. We feel dark. It's like God's looking at us and we're the bad little kids or something. But that's not it. When the New Testament talks about the judge and Jesus being a judge, it's good news. It's the only one who's worthy to judge humanity takes the judgment seat in our place. The judge becomes judged for us. I forgot a book. I got to grab it. One of my favorite theologians, Karl Barth, he wrote four volumes, each three or four books long, this thick, called Church Dogmatics. And in volume four, he has a chapter called The Judge Judged in Our Place. And I want to read one of the footnotes from his book. He has so many footnotes that they don't actually make it a footnote. It just becomes part of the text because there's actually three or four pages long of footnotes for this. Listen to this short footnote, though. Karl Barth writes, and you can follow along on the screen. The so-called judges of the Old Testament in the early period of the occupation of Canaan are described as humans awakened by God, and their main office is to be helpers and saviors in the recurrent sufferings of the people at the hand of the neighboring tribes. Helpers and saviors. It was only in addition to this activity in foreign affairs that they engaged in judging in the narrower sense of the term. The idea that there is a disagreement between multiple parties and they need a third person to judge who's right and who's wrong. That's the narrow sense he's talking about. And similarly, in the New Testament, a fact which was later forgotten, and perhaps you and I have forgotten this too, the coming of the judge means basically the coming of the Redeemer and Savior. Friends, that's a good word for us. That when Jesus shows up in judgment, it's out of a place of redemption and saving. It's not out of a place of looking at people and judging the way that humans judge. It flips everything upside down. And when I suggest that we should judge the way Jesus judges, I just want to meditate on that for a little bit. I think that's a place for us to become like Jesus. We can't be him necessarily, but we can become like him. Maybe we can judge the way Jesus judges. That our judgments would lead people to seeing us as helpers, not necessarily saviors, but helpers and saviors. I wonder what this looks like sometimes maybe in our church. What would it look like for us to judge the way Jesus judges, to become like him in that sense? I read this passage from Romans because he says, welcome the weak in faith. I also read it because I'm a vegetarian. And for a long time in my life, I've had people that tell me I'm weak in faith because I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> and so if you didn't hear that, that's what Paul says. He says, there are some who only eat vegetables. They are the weak in faith. <laughs> so I've always had friends that say, Kurt, you're weak in faith. Yeah, you're welcome here. <laughs> we will help you. But in a more honest sense, I think that is what Paul's getting at. Paul remembers this idea of Jesus being a judge who's coming to help. And so in this place, what would it look like for us to not judge one another about where we are in our spiritual journeys, but to help each other and come alongside one another and just say, hey, I have unique gifts that I feel like I could help you with this and help you grow. You may be weak in faith. We still observe that we're on a different place in the journey, but not to pronounce it as bad or you're somehow beneath wherever I am, but just say, hey, 
let's help one another in this. Welcome the weak in faith. I think that's what Paul's talking about. And I think that's a way that we could do that in the church. When I think back to that high school student who experienced that tension of, of judging in the midst of dance competitions, I wonder what it would look like to be a helpful judging presence in that place. Maybe it would mean to celebrate someone's success rather than to point out somebody else's failure to make yourself feel good about yourself. You're still going to notice and observe when people make mistakes or when they do well, but maybe you just lift up their successes and go, congratulations, you did great today, and not base your value on where they are. I think that's perhaps what it means to be judged like Jesus in the midst of that world. I also wonder what it means to be a judge like Jesus in the midst of our current political climate. I heard this story a couple weeks ago that at Facebook headquarters down in Palo Alto, they have beautiful artwork all around the building. Beautiful artwork. It's amazing. I got to visit it one time. It's, it's really amazing. And you can actually write on some of the walls there. You can do your own artwork. You can write your own sayings on it. And somebody had written on the wall, black lives matter. And then somebody a few days later erased black and wrote all. Now for some people, they may feel like that's innocuous. All lives matter. That's a true statement, right? All lives matter. But I've been trying to do a lot of learning about this lately in the last few months of my life. I've put a lot of my heart, a prayer into this. And there's one analogy that keeps popping up for me that I keep wrestling with and thinking about. And somebody shared it with me. And they say the Black Lives Matter movement is to say that if there is a house that was on fire in a subdivision, the fire department would come out. They wouldn't just spread water on all the houses. They would put it on the house that's on fire that's burning down to the ground. All houses matter in that context, absolutely, but one is on fire. So should we put water on all of them? And I think that's a helpful reminder for me because, look, here is this unjust judge. He won't grant justice to this widow. The Old Testament is packed with stories about you must take care of the widows, you must, as God's people, take care of the widows. The people who need it the most, you must take care of them. And I think if we're to be a judge like Jesus, we need to take seriously this, this movement and look at it head on. And look at it face to face. And even if all lives matter is a true statement, and it is a true statement, there's been people in this world that have been systematically unjustly treated for hundreds of years. And Christians have been involved in it. How do we look at that and come alongside that as a helper? How do we come alongside that as a helping presence the way that Jesus would have when he showed up? He called out the injustices of the world. He called out that judge. He called out that judge. See, I think that is what these scriptures are about for us. They call us into question some of these things that are a part of our lives. There's humor in these stories, but the humor also points to a darker part of our lives. 
But in the midst of that darkness is the profound good news of Jesus Christ. It is. It's the profound good news of Jesus Christ that says, wherever you've been in your life, wherever you are, I see that and I know that. And yet I'll take whatever judgment is supposed to be on you. I will be the judge that's judged in your place. I love you that much. No matter where you are, that is what Jesus is always doing. And that is what he's doing in this gospel of Luke's story. This humor is lifted up from Luke as a way to point out these hard stories, these hard parables about injustice, about this tax collector who goes home the justified one and not the Pharisee. But it's all to the point of hearing the good news of Jesus Christ, that the judge was judged in our place. And we have that. We all have access to that. He has earned it for us. Will you pray for me this morning? Let's pray. Gracious, loving God, that is what you are. You're gracious, you're loving. You humbled yourself. You sent Jesus and he humbled himself. And because of that, you exalted him to a place high above every other place so that you will have us come alongside that. You want us to be humbled so that we can be exalted with you. So help our hearts, God, to become a judge like your son. One when we show up is one of a helping presence and a loving presence. Not judging to lift ourselves up, but judging to celebrate the other and to be a helping presence in those places. God, be with us through the rest of this worship service and let us draw closer to you now. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.